We're going to pick up this evening right where we left off last Wednesday evening. And a verse that we've come back to again and again in this series is John 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. The King James says, will, and it shall be done for you. And abide, if you remember, it means to live in, to settle down in, to take up residence in. So if we live in, settle down in, take up residence in the Lord and his word, his words live in, settle down in, take up residence in us, then we can ask what we will or desire and then it will be given unto us. And at the end of the day, that's the Christian life, to walk with him and to live for him and to fellowship with him. You go back to the very beginning to Genesis and there's an important detail, and that is that the Lord would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And from when they sinned to the coming of the Messiah, all that God has done is about restoring fellowship between humanity and himself. And his desire is to walk with us. His desire is to fellowship with us the way he wanted to, desired to, and did for a little bit with Adam and Eve in the garden. Prayer is fellowship with the Lord, and it is the greatest opportunity that is available to us, but at the end of the day, I, I can't do your praying for you. You can't do Austin's praying for Austin. At the end of the day, you have to set aside the time to talk with the Lord, to listen to the Lord, to open up your Bible, to read, to study, and to meditate on the Word of God. There was a time in Lindale, Texas, east of us, when the same type, time period you had the Jesus people, and people like Keith Green and Agape Force. David Wilkerson had his ministry headquartered in Lindell for a period of time. And for a period of time, Leonard Ravenhill lived in Lindell, Texas. And he was an elderly man by that point, but he would talk about how young ministers would come to see him and they would ask Leonard Raven, or they would say, you know, I want you to lay your hands on me. And he wouldn't do it. He would say, he would, he would chastise those young men. He'd say, you know, everybody wants me to lay hands on them, but nobody wants my prayer life. And he would say, I'm not gonna lay hands on you, but if you want, we can pray. <laughs> Which wasn't a 10 minute endeavor. At the end of the day, we have to decide in our own lives, in our own circumstances, to set, a time, to set aside the time to spend with the Lord. And once you do, Satan, because he wants to hinder us and all that is available to us, once you decide to pray, once you decide to spend time in the Word, once you set aside the time, once you head down that road, he will line up distractions. And there are enemies that stand in the way of a faithful and fruitful prayer life. And that's why Satan makes it his business to see that your prayer life or the church's prayer life is ineffective or that we're busy doing everything but what we are supposed to be doing. And last week we looked at Acts chapter 6, Acts 6 beginning in verse 2. This was the first real challenge in the early church and it was a dispute in how food was being distributed to widows in the church community. And again, this was 
a dispute between the Hebraic Jews, who were ethnically Jewish, but were more culturally and religiously conservative than the Hellenist Jews, whose families ethnically Jewish, but they had embraced Greek culture to some degree. And the Hellenist widows felt like they were being overlooked with the amount of food being distributed. Acts 6, verse 2, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among us who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, which is what we would describe today as the ministry of helps, verse 4, and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so that's what, for instance, pastor, his time ought to be focused on prayer and the ministry of the word. The point is that when we're busy doing what we're supposed to be doing, Satan will line up distractions to get us focused on other things, to get us doing other things, geared to causing us to be ineffective and unproductive in what we're supposed to be doing. A believer is no more powerful, effective than his or her prayer life. A church is no more powerful or effective than its prayer life. And as I said when we ended last Wednesday evening, the key is faithfulness and consistency. You know, if somebody just got saved recently, my encouragement would be to get started and to be faithful and consistent. I'm not going to tell a new believer to pray an hour a day. You know, Jesus chastised the religious leaders for putting burdens on people's backs they could not carry. The key is to get started. The key is over time to grow your time with the Lord, whatever that is, and to be faithful and to be consistent. And it's being faithful and consistent that yields great fruit. It's being faithful and consistent that gets good results. It's being faithful and consistent that yields positive long-term fruit. People get into unhealthy, extreme, desperate things when they're not faithful and they're not consistent and they're not a doer of the word of God. You know, there are some years where the Lord will put on pastor's heart a theme for the year. It's not every year, so we just don't make that up. Well, it's January, we gotta have a theme for the year. You know, growing up in church, there were years that the Lord would put something very specific on my father's heart. But if the Lord doesn't do that, we just don't make something up. We just don't come up with whatever our, our bright idea is. And somebody might wonder, well, why don't we do 30 days of this or 30 days of that? Well, we don't need to do 30 days of tithing in January because I believe in tithing all year long. And I do tithe all year long. You see it? The key is to be faithful and consistent. I don't need to do 30 days of prayer in January. Know why? I believe in praying all year long. And fasting is a spiritual discipline but for us as believers under the new covenant, that, that's between a believer and the Lord and the Lord moving upon someone's heart to draw nigh unto the Lord. You know, growing up, there were times with my father, I was aware he was doing a word fast, so not watching anything but maybe, you know, things that were edifying or related to the word or sermons, messages, watching Fred Price on TV or whatever it was. There were times growing up when I was aware that my father was seeking after the Lord, that he was fasting, but he never once during those seasons made my mother fast. He never once during those seasons made Christina and I fast. Well, you're not taking a lunch to school today because, you know, this is what we're doing. Jesus strongly 
chastised the religious leaders for putting burdens on people's backs they could not carry. And if the Lord moves upon my heart to do something, I, I don't need to make Jessica do it with me. I don't need to make Sophie and Michaela and Samuel and Julia and Emily do it with me. And sure, the Lord could move upon pastor's heart for us all to focus on or do something, but that's only if the Lord leads us accordingly. The key is faithfulness and consistency. To spend time in the word on a daily basis. To spend time in prayer on a daily basis. To be faithful. To be consistent. Prayer is the secret of the victorious Christian life. And as we saw, we, we wrestle in prayer. And we win the victory in prayer. But that is only true if we pray. Ephesians 6 verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, you know, sometimes we might want to wrestle people because we, we live in this world. Our spirit is saved, but the flesh is not. And so people can rile us up. And so sometimes we want, we want to wrestle people, but that's not where the victory is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power and powers. We win the victory in prayer, but that's only true if we pray. So you got to have the attitude of Jacob. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I love that. I will not let you go until you bless me. Or as Jesus taught in Luke 18 verse 1, we should always pray and never give up. And you've heard my father describe prayer and consistency in prayer that way, that tomorrow's a new day. And so what will we be doing in the morning tomorrow? We will be up and we will be praying and we will be confessing and we will be saying, I'm back and this is what I'm believing you for. I'm back and this is what I expect to see happen. I'm back and these are the desires of my, of my heart. And this is what I'm believing God for in our family and our church family. There are enemies of prayer. And so we have to be mindful of this because prayer, you know, James tells us that the, the prayer of a righteous man, it is powerful and it is effective. And so if you determine to pray, Satan will line up distractions and there are enemies. When Paul preached in Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, he said of the Lord that in him we live and move and have our being. And again, you go back to Genesis the, the description of the Lord walking and talking with them in fellowship in the cool of the garden. And that's, that's what our prayer life ought to be, daily fellowship with the Lord. But also in the sense that, you know, whether, you know and people, I realize people have different schedules. So someone might work during the day, somebody might work at night, but before your day gets started, whenever that is, to spend time with the Lord. But then to have the relationship where we're, we're new covenant believers, and there, there's nothing hindering us from entering the throne room anytime we want, anytime we desire. And so you could, you could be in the car and the Holy Spirit reminds you of something and we can pray and we can fellowship and we can, we can talk to the Lord anytime we want, anytime we desire. Prayer is a call to fellowship with our Heavenly Father, to walk in love with Him and to walk in fellowship and relationship with Him. But there are enemies of prayer. And some of these enemies of prayer are dear, familiar friends. And it can be hard for us to give them up. One is a desire to read about the Bible 
and about prayer rather than to study and meditate upon the word and to simply pray. You know, in my office at home, there's no, there's no telling how many books I have on prayer. And they're all wonderful. They're all wonderful. I've got one I've not read yet, you know. It's in, referred to in David Wilkerson's writings uh, on the prayer life of the Puritans. But it's about that thick. I'll get to it eventually. Got a lot of books about prayer. But at the end of the day, none of that can actually be a substitute for spending time in prayer. Got all kinds of books about faith. Got all kinds of books about different eras of biblical history and archaeology. It's all fine. It's all, it's all wonderful. But none of that can be a substitute for spending time in the Word of God. Because His Word is living. His Word speaks to us. And even if you're in the daily Bible reading and you're in Leviticus, you could get something out of Leviticus because his word is living and it speaks to us. And by his word, he leads us and he guides us and he directs us and he, he convicts us. And by his word, we gain wisdom and insight and, and understanding. So there's nothing wrong with learning about prayer. Nothing wrong with learning about the word. Nothing wrong about learning about specific topics in the word. But at the end of the day, none of that can be a substitute for praying and spending time in the Word. And so you have to set aside the time to read, to study, and to meditate upon the Word of God. Devotionals are fine. Devotionals are good. Devotionals have a purpose. But that cannot be a substitute for the Word. And I know, Aaron will say sometimes, people don't realize how old-fashioned I am. I'm still trying to convince my father that somewhere in phase two, we've got to have some stained glass somewhere, and I'm teasing, but Aaron says, people don't realize how traditional I am. You know, young people want to toss tradition, but some tradition is good. And you can go to churches today, and no one has a Bible. No one carries a Bible, not even the pastor. All the technology is great right up until the lights go out. All the technology is great right up until certain translations start disappearing. I'm ready. I got so many, I got, I got lots of Bibles. And I got to have a lot. We got five kids. They got to have a lot of Bibles. Their spouses have to have a lot of Bibles. There's something about having a Bible that is yours, with your name on it, that you read, you study, you open, and we, we live by faith. We walk in victory. That was Sunday, from victory to victory to victory. But there are, there are times in life when your back is against the wall and there is something serious. And that is the time when you, you open your Bible and you put Father God in remembrance of his, of his word. And this situation or what's going on, it's not acceptable. I'm not going to accept it. And it needs to change and change now because your word says. So... Reading about the Bible, devotionals, it's all fine. But none of it can be a substitute for reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word. Got to set aside the time to pray. To pray regarding your own life and your own circumstances and your own family. To pray and to intercede for others. People in our church family. Now, this is why I have no time or tolerance for drama or whatever people are up to because there are people among us and they're fighting the fight of faith that is what is important 
Not, not someone's grievance or petty issue or whatever they're doing. So you got to set aside the time to pray and intercede, not just for yourself, but others, including your pastors, our church family, and other believers, and to engage in all kinds of prayer. And probably the best book, I see out here I'm going to recommend a book. Now, it can't be a substitute for praying, but there are great books that will point you in the right direction, amen? And one of them by Kenneth Hagin Sr. is The Art of Prayer. And, but that one specifically because he explains all the various types of prayer, their purposes, and when they should be employed. For instance, the prayer of consecration, which Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be thy will. Well, we don't need to pray the prayer of consecration about everything. None of us need to pray the prayer of consecration about whether or not we should get up and go to work tomorrow. The Lord wills. You should go to work. But there are, there are, there are believers and every prayer, you know, Lord, if it, if it be like, he wills you to get up and go to work. So again, the art of prayer by Kenneth Hagin Sr. is very helpful. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So we ought to engage in all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers and requests. We ought to pray in both English or your native language and in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, so that's in tongues, but I will also pray with my mind, whatever one's natural language is, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. So Paul's attitude was that he would pray and he would pray with every tool in the toolbox. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So whether it's the various types of prayer, whether it's praying in the Spirit, these are all tools in the toolbox that God has given to us and they are powerful, and they are effective, and they demolish strongholds, and they, when employed, help us to gain, to achieve the victory. Again, Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Prayer is fellowship. It is a high and holy vocation, it is a privilege, it is the greatest, most wonderful, rarest privilege. Now think about the difference for us versus those who lived under the old covenant. Only one guy, well, I say that, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But Moses would also go see the Lord. And I love the verse, I have to find the reference, that says when, Mo, when Moses would leave, Joshua would stay at the tabernacle. <laughs> the point is, not everybody could go hang out at the tabernacle. Not everybody could go into the Holy of Holies. See, we don't even realize how blessed we are. That in Christ and because of what he's done for us, 
any one of us, even somebody that just got saved in the past seven days, any one of us can enter the throne room of Almighty God to present our petitions and requests anytime, anywhere, any place. It is the greatest privilege. Another enemy of prayer is a lack of knowledge of who we are in Christ, of what he did for us, of the blessings and benefits that belong to us, and of our standing, our legal rights. Again, there are believers and they're of this mindset, they're not good enough, they're not worthy enough, that, that before they, they, they get good enough or worthy enough, they've got to do 30 days of something to get good enough, to get, listen, I, I've been spirit-filled since I was a little guy. But you have to be careful which road you head down because they will lead to guilt and condemnation. And one of those roads is this thing of, well, I got to do these 25 things, or I got to do 30 days of this, and I got to do 30 days of that to be good enough, to be worthy enough. No, Jesus did what needed to be done so we would be good enough, and we would be worthy to enter the throne room of Father God. And no, I didn't earn it. And no, none of us deserve it, but he did it for us. It is the greatest privilege. But see, you have believers and they just, they're of this mind. They're not good enough. They're not worthy enough. They got to do 30 days of this. They got to do 30 days of this. That before God will hear them, they got to skip five more meals. When you read Hebrews, we enter with boldness and with confidence. As John tells us, he hears us and he answers us. And we have what we have asked of him. So we've got to know who we are in Christ and what belongs to us and our, our legal rights, our standing rights. And that's why you have to get into the word. That's why you have to study to show yourself approved. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, Paul wrote to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Consider a student in school and the traditional grading scale. Now look, I, I know it's crazy out there. I have no idea what's going on. And when I was in college, they still had A's, B's, C's. In the time I was there, it was starting to change. I have no idea what's going on. But in the world I live in, my grading scale is A, B, C, D, and F. And uh, I know things have changed. An A is not anything less than a 93. And a 93 is an A minus. You know, I think when I finished at TCU, they had changed that, and, you know, a 90 was an A. It's all ridiculous. Study to show thyself approved. And the reality is there are, a minus, there are A people in terms of the effort, in terms of the diligence, in terms of the faithfulness. There are B people, there are C people, there are D people, and there are F people. Well, in my walk with the Lord, I don't want to be B, C, D, or F. I want to be in that A category. And even if I'm not A plus, I want to be somewhere in that A range. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not be ashamed. And the message out there today, even in the church world, is that, you know, we just do whatever we want, live however we want, faithful, unfaithful, consistent, non-consistent, and no one needs to be ashamed of anything. People don't read their Bibles. Study to show thyself approved unto God, 
so that you don't need to be a workman who is ashamed. How can I study to show myself approved if I don't spend any time in the word of God? 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge. But what if we don't have the knowledge? And you go to Hosea, Hosea 4, 6, God's people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And we, we do our best to cover what's important, but we can't cover everything every Sunday, every Wednesday. So in all of our lives, we have to get into the Word. We have to study the things that we need more knowledge on or more knowledge about. Verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. See, this is why you got to have a Bible that's yours that you can mark in and you can underline, you can highlight, you can, you can circle. It's okay. You're still going to heaven if you mark in your Bible so that you may participate. It doesn't say that you will or that you will automatically, you may. And what, what does that require? Taking action, doing your part. We have a part to play. That's why the Lord told Joshua to meditate on his word day and night, to be careful to observe to do all that is written in it. Then he would make his way prosperous. Then he would have good success. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy. You got to study to show yourself approved. And I, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. My father can't do it for me. We, every believer has to study to show themselves approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you read Hebrews, and you learn that rightly dividing the word of truth has everything to, go, to do with going from being an immature believer, a baby Christian, to being a mature believer. Yeah, for everyone that's done laying a firm foundation, it, it quotes that in Hebrews. The basics, and rightly dividing the word of truth we, we learn the basics, and one of them is the ability to discern between good and evil. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Until you know who you are in Christ and what belongs to you, you will never have a prayer life beyond that of a baby Christian. And listen, when we, we deal with what the word says about prayer and praying rightly and getting results, don't be offended. You know, Jesus taught very clearly in John's gospel that we are to pray to Father God in his name. So stop it with the whole, dear Jesus. That is a sign of someone who doesn't know what the word says, who is a baby Christian, still getting checked into the nursery. It's time to grow up. Jesus, our Lord, taught we pray to the Father in whose name? In his name. We can talk to Jesus. We can talk to the Holy Spirit. But we pray to who? Father God. In whose name? The name of Jesus. And we want results, right? You know, when, we when we do the time on the daily sessions on prayer during the Holy Week revival, you know, my attitude is like Friday, Saturday morning, if I'm going to wake up, I'm going to come up here at 5 a.m., I do not want to waste my time. So why not pray and get results? Why not pray rightly? Amen. This is how Paul described the believers at Corinth. They were immature baby Christians. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 
Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? When one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? When you live like a baby, immature Christian, fighting, quarreling, drama here, drama there, you're, you're not going to get your prayers answered. Go over to James, James 4, beginning in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So James is writing in a different situation, but there were some issues like what Paul faced in Corinth. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Different situations, same problem, immature believers, baby Christians. We, there comes a point, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, got to put childish ways behind. Got to be willing to put the things that don't work behind, to grow up spiritually. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I am known in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And why? Love, you read in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, are meant to be read together. The epistles are letters. They're meant to be read from start to finish. You know, in the early church, when they, they would gather and they would receive these letters, the, the, the letter would be read. But you know, in America, 2023, if this Sunday I said, all right, everybody buckle in, we're, we're gonna cover the entirety of 1 Corinthians. I'm gonna just read 1 Corinthians this morning. People would not know what to do. Even if it was short, like Jude. So Paul wrote, addressing these issues, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, are, they go together. I won't say the church or the pastor, very, very famous name in church history here in North Texas in Dallas. And the people that were a part of that church, it was known that because the pastor, pastored for many decades, would preach on Sunday evenings through the Bible verse by verse, most people that were a part of that church, they could say when they were saved or when they were added to the church based on what the pastor was teaching on. But because of the denomination, when that pastor got to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 10 or Acts chapter 19, he would skip certain chapters. And when he got to 1 Corinthians, he skipped chapters 12 and chapters 14. But did the love chapter, that's okay. But if you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the purpose of the love chapter is that Love is the motivator. Love is the motive. And for everything we do in the church, for how we conduct services, for the spiritual gifts, it all ought to be done with the motive of love. And that should be true in our prayer lives. And remember from last week, why is this so important? Well, faith, Galatians 5, 6, faith worketh by love. How, how can we pray with a clean conscience if we're not walking in love? How can, how can we pray with a clean conscience, as John tells us, with our hearts not condemning us if, based on Mark eleven twenty five, 25, there, there's an issue between me and someone else, or there's an issue between us and someone else, 
or, or there's an issue, a matter of unforgiveness. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, the agape love of God. It is the, should be the motive by which we do everything, including prayer. Faith worketh by love. Well, can't we say the same of prayer? Prayer worketh by love. Love, forgiveness, walking love. These things have everything to do, not just with spiritual maturity, but also answered prayer. We've got to know who we are. We ought to know how we're to live and how we're to walk. And that's what gets results, knowing who we are, knowing what belongs to us, knowing our legal and our standing rights, knowing our rights and privileges in prayer. But think of the enemies that hinder us from walking in who we are in Christ and walking in our rights and privileges. Another enemy is ignorance of what believing is. As we've learned, faith and belief and faith and hope, they're not synonyms. Yes, our faith is founded upon what we believe, but biblical faith is so much more. Biblical faith is taking action on the word of God. You know, we act on the word of man without issue. You know, there, there's rumors circulating on social media about the fall. You know, I don't know. Don't believe everything you read on social media. But you know, I remember when fall of 2020, spring of 2021, when we were having St. Paul's as normal and doing athletic events. It, it was always interesting to go to the volleyball games or whatever it was and, and to watch people from the visiting teams and how they acted when they, they came in here and none of us had masks on. But there, there was a point where Fauci and others said, you know, we'll wear two masks. And I remember shortly after that being at a volleyball game and a referee had two masks on. You know, if the, the first one doesn't work, the second one's not gonna work that much better. The point is, pe people have no trouble acting on the word of unsaved men or on the word of the bank or the word of the government or on the word of friends. I mean, someone can have like the worst friend, the losingest friend ever known in the history of the world and they'll still do what their friend says. Why do we have such a hard time simply doing what God says? Why do we have such a hard time simply acting on the word of God? There's no faith without taking action. And if we believe biblically, we'll receive. If we believe biblically, which is taking action on the word over time, little by little, we'll possess the promises of God. We'll possess what belongs to us. But we have to take possession, and we do that by faith. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 1. When I was a student in seminary, good denomination, very conservative denomination, but in that denomination, there are people very much committed to the belief that once someone is saved, there's nothing they can do to lose their salvation, which if you read your New Testament honestly, you'll see that is not the case. People can backslide, as we say, or they can drift away. People can deny the faith and deny Christ. And uh, epistle, a letter that they have a hard time with is Hebrews. I remember taking class on it. We read a great big thick book with all the possible explanations. Well, Hebrews says this, but these other things could be possibilities. Now, the easiest thing is just to believe what it says and to take heed to take warning. Verse one, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. 
referring to the children of Israel during the time of Moses under the old covenant in the wilderness. We also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. We could say it this way, they, they didn't take action on what they, they heard. They grumbled, they complained, they were full of unbelief and disobedience and rebellion every step of the way, no matter what God said he, he would do. They said, we don't believe you can. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We, we like to gloss over some things. Moses did all that he did for God. But there at the end, he did something in anger. And the Lord told him there would be a consequence. He would see the promised land, but he would not enter. That's the Almighty God. And we have a different covenant, but he is the same Lord. So we ought not be under any misconceptions about that. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Verse six, it still remains that some will enter that rest. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy that God wants all men, all people, all men and women to be saved, but will all be saved? No, because not everyone will accept and believe the gospel. Jesus died for all. Any man or woman can believe upon the Lord and be saved, but will all be saved? No. You know, we, we live in a time people want to deny hell. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. If you study Hebrews, you'll see that several words are used interchangeably as synonyms. Sin, disobedience, rebellion, and unbelief. They did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, and was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So the rest of God is twofold. It is his blessings in this life, the abundant life Jesus spoke of, but it is also eternal life, his blessing in eternity. God's rest is twofold, the present, but then also the future, the eternal. Verse nine, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and Morrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom, to whom we must give an account. You know, it's amazing to me, but even in the full gospel world, there, there are people teaching that the grace of God means we just live however we want, that once someone's saved, they never again need to repent for anything. 
They never again need to ask for forgiveness of anything. There is going to be hell to pay. Because the New Testament is very clear on this. There's coming a day when we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're saved, the wicked will be before Father God at the great white throne judgment. But those who are saved will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account. To whom we must give account. The word believe is a verb. It is an action word, and it means to take action upon the word. And we do that, as Hebrews tells us, by making every effort to walk in his promises and his rest and his best and the abundant life in this life so that as Hebrews warns about, we don't fall short of God's promises and God's best, not just in this life, but also in eternity. He is the Lord and he is wonderful. And he hears us, he answers us, we have to do our part. And you go back, we'll go back to where we started in Genesis. All he wanted was to walk and talk with them in the cool of the garden and to fellowship with them. And he would be with them and he would bless them. Every need met, every want, desire fulfilled. It's not a hard thing. And that is the Father's love for us. But we have to walk with him. And that is a daily thing. You've heard my father refer to people asking, well, how long do I have to do this confession stuff? Until you go to be with the Lord. How long do I have to live right? Until you go to be with the Lord. You know, you know how, 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 how many years do I need to spend time in the Bible? Until you go to be with the Lord. It is a life. It is the best life. And if we'll do it his way, we enter into his promises and rest, not just in this life, but in eternity.